Welcome to the third episode of KVCast. So welcome back, uh, Sean. Uh, Thanks, Yaji. I heard Wonder Week was really exciting. Do you, um, could you share a bit more about this? Sure, yeah. It happened partially during East Denver. So uh, it's starting from 15th to the 22nd. So the past Tuesday, we kind of just have a, a bigger presentation on people, what's going uh, on the project going on. Uh, based on what uh, people submitted. Uh, ideally, from uh, Sachi said, I need to submit the artifact by every Tuesday. So the, the past Tuesday was the first time we're supposed to submit the artifact in order to present. And uh, it's basically just uh, we did confining our ideas and pitching and iterate on feedbacks. So I, altogether, I think I attended three times on the Wonder Week and got different uh, feedbacks. The last one, the uh, Tuesday one, definitely was a little bit more in depth. And uh, the the uh, the the guide actually gave me a little bit more, asked me more questions on some concerning I have. So it was uh, it was great for the idea validation. And uh, also to mention, our first guest on the podcast, Sam He, was in the front, in the front uh, pitching, uh, was selected to pitch uh, in front of everyone. So his project looks uh, great and uh, very well prepared. So does everyone else on this, uh, you know, being selected to present. Uh, most of them have a nicely done slide deck and uh, a website set up and a lot of those uh, already get a funding or some of those are just, uh, you know, working on that, uh, marching through their adventure. So kudos to a lot of the teams. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Sam, Sam was focused on migrants NFT, which is exciting to see. And I saw a few, a few of the other projects were focused on the refi space, um, in, including carbon credits as well as gaming and some around DAOs as well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, it's a lot of uh, cool events, uh, cool projects are coming out of from the Wonder Weekend Adventures. And uh, on the other side, uh, Sean, I know you 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 saw some of the uh, modules uh, came out uh, in Juntos this week. Would you like to mention those? Yeah, so this week was focused on module two. This is really focused on the global financial system, and this is taking a perspective that is broader than the traditional finance system. But the few, the two main themes that we're focused on, asking better questions. So this is the ability to really understand and take a beginner's mindset when you're approaching a new space. I thought that was very interesting and that really entails you letting go of a lot of your egos and your necessarily your prior knowledge so that you can approach a space with a humble and inquisitive mind, which I think is always useful, especially in a really evolving space like the Web3 crypto space. That's right, we're uh, all students here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all learning despite different levels of experience. The, the second piece was around money and speech. So the thought that actually cryptocurrency is not necessarily just monetary, but it's actually a form of language. It's a tamper-proof, borderless 
new form of language that is a form of expression. And there's an opportunity to use this for enabling many, many different use cases and the technical underpinnings of cryptocurrency and the blockchain ecosystem are really helping us to focus on how do we derive meaning from this? How do we actually look at items like programming penalties mm -hmm. as opposed to rewards to ensure that we're building a meaningful consensus? And how does this actually, this mathematical consensus that is part of cryptocurrency and blockchains actually create something that is greater than bureaucracy because we're coding this actually into the technical infrastructure of blockchain. So mm -hmm. definitely some interesting topics. Unfortunately, I could not attend some of the Gentos, but I know that quite a few of the guilds were interesting this week. And I don't know if you want to talk a bit about that. Yeah, sure. you, you actually got to see some of these guilds live. Yeah. Some of the, yeah. Some of the guild hosts live. That's right. Yeah, this week, definitely the guilds is a full on. We have a region guild, gaming, uh, DeSci, crypto culture, and uh, DeFi. So I was lucky enough to actually have the stay in the same house with uh, uh, the host uh, in the region guild, John, and also the DeFi guild, uh, Sukan. So that was pretty cool. You know, we talked a lot with our project and uh, with, uh, what uh, they came out from Kernel. And let's go back to the guild part. Uh, the region, uh, the region guild was uh, quite interactive, and uh, John and uh, John and uh, another, uh, all their hosts, uh, they are going through like a workshop, uh, showing kind of, uh, uh, kind of like a brainstorming a lot of the ideas with a lot of attendee, and uh, also they, it's great to see people start taking carbon credit and tree initiative seriously. And a lot of the people in the field are work, doing great project on this. Uh, as for the gaming, uh, I didn't attend that one and the uh, gaming design and the crypto culture. I didn't attend those in person or like, a, but uh, there's a, um, a lot of, there's a recording on YouTube if people want to look at those. Uh, for the DeFi one, I did a, uh, did a call in on that one. It was uh, quite technical and a little bit overhead, for, uh, over, over, I uh, guess, uh, a little bit overwhelming for me. And uh, it was uh, led by Dan Robinson. It's like coder and lawyer from Paradigm. I think, Sean, you probably understand that a lot better. Would you like to break down how people understand this a little bit better? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, a lot of the concepts also went over my head. As I think Dan has probably one of the best understandings of the DeFi space in the crypto web three world. He, he is the head of research at Paradigm mm -hmm. and he has a legal and, and a technical background. I think what was really interesting was his ability to break down different new DeFi mechanisms into a very small set of core ingredients. So he broke it down into five different core ingredients. One was pools. So everything from liquidity pools that you might see on decentralized exchanges like Uniswap. Mm -hmm. AMMs, expiring synthetics, 
and perpetual synthetics, as well as oracles. Using these five different ingredients or Lego blocks, you can construct any DeFi mechanism together. Uh, for example, he had mentioned that Maker is effectively a perpetual synthetic and an oracle. Uniswap is a pool and an AMM. And there were a few other examples that he shared. I thought it was very interesting in, as well to get some of his takes on the DeFi space in the Q&A section. I, I think he made us promise to not share too much outside of the guild, so I won't go into too much more detail, but definitely follow Dan for more tips on understanding the DeFi space. I think the analogy he mentioned for most DeFi mechanisms right now is that they are like an extension cord that is plugged into itself. <laughs> and uh, that, that's often used as a metaphor for a lot of these protocols, which say stake our, our coining will give you more of that coin. That that's right. Um, in times, it's kind of a, uh, you need to look deeper under the covers to really understand what is going on. Right. That's a great metaphor, by the way. Definitely. I know that uh, in the DeSci Guild as well, I thought it was quite interesting. I only was able to drop in for a, a small period of time, but it, it seemed like there were some very interesting discussions around ideas. Like, I think there was a idea of a SPAD, a special purpose acquisition DAO to buy pharmaceutical <laughs> patents, much like a SPAC might do, but bring them into the public domain. In the last year or two, there were some initiatives to do this around the EpiPen, which is an example of a innovation that helps a lot of children, but is obscenely price gouged in the market. Uh, many other examples. And then I think there was also some interest on publishing open data sets for all science yeah. papers, and then also rewarding individuals to really tell the truth about studies, not just the success stories, but also what, what's failed. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that was. Uh, actually, I went to a few presentations during Stanford talking about the DSI. It's, uh, it's quite a, honestly, quite a blowing my mind how far the science world has been changing since uh, this uh, Web3, um, you know, getting more popular in the science world. So, you know, people started uh, like uh, showing how to how to how to get a, like a accurate profile based on the person's publication and all those stuff are being transparent on the blockchain and uh, you know you have a uh, the scientific paper and all the people's publication does uh, uh, whatever he did in publication instead of writing a resume could be part of the smart contract linked to that person's profile and uh, another project is like the public data set, like you mentioned, especially in the biology field, you know, a lot of bioscience uh, innovation came out from the data, you know, the machine learning, like a, like a big data. So when you have a kind of a public and transparent ledger to document a lot of things going on, people couldn't cheat on the publication anymore. And uh, it's a lot of cool things that people can double, we can do a re peer review a lot easier. And uh, just overall, it can help with the science breakthrough a lot easier. All right, let's move on to the fair chat, uh, fair side chat. Uh, this week, we had a guest from uh, Salo, Sap and uh, Zochi. Sap is a co-founder from Salo and uh, Zochi is a system growth of Salo. Uh, I, I watched their uh, video after the events, uh, but it was a quite interesting uh, topic about the global money. 
Sean, would you like to shine some light about their conversation? Yeah, I, I think they, uh, a lot of very interesting themes came out of the fireside. So one, I, I'm ever reminded how refreshing it is to be part of Kernel. I, I feel like it's a <laughs> kind of nourishment for my soul in a way that, that's very different from other programs out in the Web3 space. So really appreciate the, the metaphors that SEP in particular had used to talk about financial systems and our participation in them. He talked about the mycelium uh, fungi network, which, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was an interesting metaphor where it looks like a nervous system, but each part in itself is an in individual agent, but also part of a whole. And using that metaphor to talk about our world, but also our global financial system. Um, in fact, the forest often can be considered to have a neural network that is more complex than even our own neural networks that we use to function on a day-to-day -day basis. I think the second point that was interesting to me is that he talked about the, the ability for new technologies to enable new use cases. So one of the very interesting pieces that he talked about is in the mid 1800s, there were a few different inventions around painting. Yeah. Uh, one, the metal paint tube, two, the collapsible easel, and three, the metal ferrule, which is basically the kind of piece between the brush and the handle, which allowed for flat paint brushes, and that enabled the impressionistic movement. Mm -hmm. And similarly, a lot of the technology that we have around blockchain enables a new financial system to really persist. He, he talked about a few different forms of money. So UBI, basically universal basic income to give money to people directly. Uh, Demerge, where there's effectively some small charge on holding money, um, but it, it's used to really encourage exchange uh, versus holding money. Some of the natural capital backed currencies, Toucan, Toucan is an example, but also looking at, for example, trees as a form of natural capital backed currency. Yeah. Um, local currencies, so community-based currencies. I know Oakland has a project looking at the Oak token as a means for deriving local currencies and money not tied to interest-bearing debt, which is typically historically how money has come to form and often is a crippling mechanism for the folks who bear that debt. So I, I think those that, that was interesting to bring up those five different topics. He also talked about, uh, along with Gochi, talked about the idea of building for everyone. So how do we look at, uh, for example, Mobile phone penetration is so high. We, we we can even look at the opportunities to build for people who have those ten to twenty dollar phones in countries where that's all they can afford. But how do you actually enable them to take part in the open financial system? And that's part of Cello's mission. And everything from looking at transaction fees to other aspects. Um, there, there were a few comments in the Q and A that crypto hasn't really lived up to its promise of creating equitable outcomes for everyone. Oftentimes it's really the early participants who get the gains. And then as more people get involved, it's harder for them to actually take part in this ecosystem. If you look at the token prices for various cryptocurrencies. So there wasn't necessarily an answer to that, but, it, but there are, as, as more tokens arrive and more participation methods arrive onto the scene that 
perhaps allows for greater participation by more individuals across the global ecosystem. So um, I thought it was a refreshing conversation and definitely a reminder for all that we have built, but also all that we can build. So up next, we have a guest, Gabriel Fior, who is building Deep Balancer in the DeFi space. And we're excited to have his interview and for him to talk about the role of machine learning models in DeFi to help create different risk profiles of return for retail investors. Hello, everyone. We have our guest for podcast number three, Gabriel Fior. And he is here to talk about his adventure, Deep Balancer, but also his journey to Kernel. We are excited to have him here. Um, Gabriel, do you mind giving a quick introduction about yourself and what brought you to Kernel? Sure. So hello also from my side. Um, what um, what I what brought me to Kernel was um, this this sense of community that I that I had the impression and I also learned from other Kernel participants and how they describe Kernel the kind of uh, Web three expertise present in this place and very in a, in also this very sharing atmosphere that was also what made me interested in Kernel and what I did before Kernel was so uh, I studied physics beforehand so um, I, I studied physics in Germany. And then worked four years as a consultant in the financial sector, so really developing software for banks and insurers and financial institutions. Um, and then all, I was always involved in the crypto space, so since 2017. But then finally, after DeFi summer, I, I, the opportunity was just too too interesting to not be part of, and, and that's why in September last year uh, I I quit my my job in in Web two, so to say and uh, decided to go full in in the Web3 space and getting started on Balancer. Um, yes. Sounds awesome. So now you're like working full-time on this. Do you have someone working with you or mostly just right now yourself on this adventure? Yeah, so uh, me and my co-founder, Francesco, we've been working together on Balancers uh, for roughly four months now. Um, and uh, yeah, we are based in Berlin. And, and that's that's where we 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 work full time on on this adventure. Then, yeah. Right. Uh, another question: I saw you guys are like trying to use some machine learning, like a, a type right. of technology, to help the DeFi make that uh, based on person's preference on risk level, they can invest accordingly. Can you explain a little bit how you guys using those data? Sure. So the, the whole idea of, of Deep Balancer is providing um, some investment buckets. So according to the risk profile, the user is more identified with. So going from less risky to more risky uh, in an easy way. And the way we determine those allocations is then using deep learning um, to really determine this, this kind of dynamic allocations according to market conditions. So we plan on, let's say, for the conservative strategy that we have, we have the, the, the bulk of the allocation in some stable pools, whereas for the aggress more aggressive strategies, we then have some, some crypto allocations where we can have the highest yields. That's in a nutshell what Balancer is trying to do. Uh, and regarding models, um, for, for training our models, we are, of course, using historical data, so historical prices of tokens, um, but also some social media data and uh, especially some uh, financial identifiers or financial, uh, let's say, index for, uh, for, uh, for those tokens. So let's say uh, RSI or some uh, moving averages that you can have from the prices uh, and things of that nature. That's how we train the network. 
Um, and after, so after training, what we're actually predicting is not really the price, but rather the allocation that you should have in the different investment options. So instead of saying, oh, now if is going to be, I don't know, $3,000 or $3,200, rather we say this is the kind of allocation from the whole uh, percentage of assets that should go into, into this ETH pool. That's the roughly what we're trying to do. I'm curious what type of investors you're trying to target with this, uh, with this offering. You mentioned on your site that actually people don't have to have a crypto wallet. You can actually set them up, set that up for them just with a phone number or like an email address, I think is what I, what I saw. That's correct. So curious about what the target persona is of your, your core user group that you're trying to onboard to Deep Balancer. Yeah, uh, exactly. So um, the, the target group that we are initially targeting are the are, are millennials who have um, already some initial crypto exposure. So they are either already purchasing crypto in centralized exchanges like Coinbase or Binance uh, or let's say Bit, uh, Bitpanda here in Germany or um, they already have a, an initial wallet, so a MetaMask wallet or a similar wallet, um, but they don't really have the expertise nor the time to explore, explore everything that in the DeFi uh, ecosystem has to offer, which is cons constantly expanding. So those are the, the initial in, initial users we're targeting to. And alluding to your to your point, Sean, regarding the you don't need to have a wallet to, to um, use Deep Balancer. That's right. So exactly those people who are did not have exposure to DeFi yet, we we are of course integrating with Fortmatic and also with Portus because uh, they allow an easier let's say journey from Web two to Web three, either using the the cell phone or the email, uh, and that allows for an easier onboarding, in my opinion. Yeah. So kind of like a retail uh, investor for DeFi, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like the Robin Hood level for DeFi user. That's kind of <laughs> what I saw. Yeah, that makes sense. This analogy makes sense. I see. Uh, just another uh, part of your training model, like, uh, you know, the DeFi world changing so frequently and have uh, so many new protocols coming out all the time. Since you guys are trained with historical data, do you guys retrain that with the, like with the real time data as go as things goes by, or like how does the batch training goes? Yeah, so th that's a great point. So the the model needs to be constantly retrained, uh, of course, since the. According to the kind of models that you have. So if you have that deep learning model, of course, as you go further along in the data in the mm -hmm. time, of yeah. course, this model is going to be less and less effective at predicting. But uh, our new approach right now is having an agnostic model, which is able to learn from the historical data. And then uh, he basically is, is agnostic to the kind of token or to the kind of pool so that he's able to make the decision also given new market conditions. So in this case, we would have to retrain less since the model is simply agnostic and learning from multiple tokens and not really like a model that looks at if and is able to predict if for the future. So we think about having a, a, this agnostic model, which would be able to uh, not be retrained as often. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what exactly the token is, but it's just based on the profile of the token then you bring in as your allocation portion, I guess. Is that a Yes, that's um, that's the goal. So we're still training the models. So we're still using different input data for this for this model to be to be trained. So we use reinforcement learning, by the way. So mm -hmm. we're trying to train an agent to allocate the assets accordingly every five minutes, every 20, 30 minutes, or something like this. Um, so yeah, that's that's our goal to have the 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 agent be be token agnostic. 
because uh, actually he's reacting reacting to the market conditions, right? So it shouldn't matter if he's trading this token or this other token. That's our hypothesis, and we are we're testing this right now. Yeah. Gotcha. And and to clarify for the users themselves, they don't actually have to pay for this service. Is this correct? And and you're making money in a different way by perhaps using strategies using allocated capital to earn even more um, return on that. Is that correct? Is that- That, is, that is correct. So okay. what I think about making money is that the, um, we, we compare our performance with, with a benchmark and our benchmark right now is hodling Ethereum. Um, and we, the, the percentage that we make on top of Ethereum, then we, we grab a, a part of this, uh, of this percentage as a performance fee. Um, that's that's one of the things, and there is a, a kind of administration fee on on the bottom of it mm. for for also for for managing the funds and for uh, yeah making sure that the systems are also online and everything. But uh, we think that the added value is very closely correlated to how the algorithm performs. So and that's the comparison with the benchmark. That's it. Okay, got it. So you do charge an administrative and a yeah. performance fee. Uh, we do. We do. Okay, yes. Okay. Okay. We do. Got it. And uh, roughly, what's the return on your testing, I guess, or your training model right now? Yeah. So um, for this reinforcement learning, for this uh -huh. V2, we, uh, we don't really have any data to share since we're just using with initial data only with a few tokens. So actually only Bitcoin right now. So uh, we've been just in the training phase. So we are not really uh, testing against some unseen test data. So uh, I don't really have any data to share. Um, but regarding our initial backtesting, for we did a backtest for four months for the, the previous year. So August to December 2021. And we were able to actually outperform ETH by a, by a wide margin. So uh, ETH was uh, basically going a little bit up and down and, and, and sideways there. Um, and then we we um, we had a, a very good performance there of uh, on the order of magnitude of 130 percent, I believe. Whereas uh, Eve had a lot less, but um, that's uh, that's uh, but that's only on the back test, right? I mean, that's gotcha. a, that's a whole different story since the uh, previous performance does not guarantee future. <laughs> So uh, that's only, let's say, uh, for us, how we interpret that is the model is uh, definitely able to learn something because this model was only trying to rebalance between ETH, Bitcoin, and US dollar, USDC. So we observed that the model, when the market was was bearish, the model was reallocating to USDC, so like a horizontal line on the on the uh, profit level. Um, and then as the market got bullish again or was uh, going up again, then we saw that the, mo the model had additional crypto exposure. Um, so that's that's our first version, which is which is not live. So um, now with the second version is um, we are trying to improve this up on this, this initial performance. Yeah. I see. When, when you're investing in stables, I, I presume you're investing in protocols which have some sort of yield or, or like earn percentage on them, right? For example, I know. Uh, Gemini offers about 8% for USDC yeah. and GUSD uh, stablecoin uh, basically yield that they, they provide as well. So I, I guess when you're saying USDC, you're saying USDC in a yield, like a earn type portfolio account. Is that fair to say? Um, uh, I'm sorry, let me elaborate. So when I when I mentioned exactly this, this model there, rebalancing between USDC, ETH and Bitcoin, we yeah. were just holding the tokens. 
So okay. we didn't really allocate into the pools, but um, of course we see uh, uh, tons of exciting opportunities with these allocations. As you yeah. mentioned, Sean, there's stable stable pools that you can have, let's say curve or a yield optimizer or something of that nature would of course be very uh, interesting for the model. And also um, when the model was simply uh, stable and allocated in USDC, uh, we could also say when the market is bearish, you can also explore that and basically short Bitcoin, short Ethereum and such things. And we didn't explore that in the initial version, uh, but that's something we're also con continuously thinking about. Yeah. Very cool. I, I'm curious. So outside of Deep Balancer, what, what is your favorite DeFi project out there or DeFi yeah. protocol project, et cetera? Yeah, so there are a couple. So, um, of course, I, I got a great inspiration from Yearn because uh, those guys are basically a very important standard uh, in the world of DeFi. They manage uh, a very large sum of money and have been doing so very su successfully. So um, I, I really like Yearn. Um, what I also like is uh, Ribbon Finance as they have been able to bring structured products into DeFi, let's say covered calls. And of course, they have tons of products in their roadmap as well. Um, I, I also um, also recently came across another uh, another kernel uh, project, um, which is called Pods Finance. They're also bringing um, options uh, into DeFi, so um, in the uh, financial world, so uh, hand, uh, providing liquidity to options and things of that nature. Um, so those are basically the three projects I would say um, I, I like, yeah. But of course, there are tons of our uh, projects developing. But those three, I, I think I would give as example. Yeah, definitely understand. It's hard to pick your favorite. So many interesting projects yeah. out there. Definitely. Here's a slightly harder question for you. On the converse side, what are some DeFi protocols you would not touch with your <laughs> users' money? Ah, uh, I see. Um, well, that's a tough one. Uh, it is hard for me to single out one specific protocol or a few of the protocols, um, what we really value on, on Deep Balancer, since it's not really my money that I can throw around and I don't have any problem losing depending on the amount, it's more like assessing the risk on each of the protocols. So making sure that the code is audited, it has been tested, um, it has a, a reasonable TVL there uh, for quite some time. So those are the things that we are trying to explore when we allocate the, the assets into this protocol or this other protocol. Um, so that's how we pick them, Sean, but uh, I haven't really have a hard line on saying, no, I don't like this protocol or this okay. other one, but it's rather trying to follow those criteria and the rest basically falls in line. That's understandable. Oh, would that be fair to say most of your user want to stay in this, uh, like investing for the long term where they are more frequent trading? Cause it sounds like uh, if they just put in a, saying I'm a conservative on investing, then they're just going to put the money in maybe for years or something, well, even for future investment uh, or retirement fund, putting in there for a few decades, you don't touch. Is that the thing you want people go for or it's like short term? Um, so our product has not been live yet. So we have not really been tracked what the, the users are trying to do. But um, coming back from our, our target users, we think of, the, of our users as more long-term users, long -term, which are basically okay. trying to find a, a reasonable, sustainable yield for, for quite some time. So we're not really looking into traders, um, more into, let's say, investors who lack the, the time for really investing in the, uh, with a robust strategy that we think that, that deep learning is able to provide. Yeah. I see. That makes sense. I'm, I'm curious how many models from uh, traditional finance are translatable to DeFi and <laughs> where, uh, which ones really work and which ones don't 
Uh, because I, I know that there are some portfolio rebalancing models out there that yeah. work in traditional finance. So I don't know if the physics of DeFi change things mm -hmm. pretty dramatically in, in terms of how you think about things. Because I know a lot of hedge funds have data scientists on staff, right. and yeah, a lot of sure. Python Definitely. engineers and the like. But do you, I, I'm curious where you think some of the TradFi models might meet a brick wall or not work as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, th that's a great point, Sean. Uh, so I'm not a quant, so I don't really know what, how those models work. I'm pretty sure also they are proprietary. So it's very hard to see what exactly they are doing under the hood. Um, however, my educated guess would be that those models can be translated uh, definitely from one from traditional finance to, to DeFi um, because the, the markets... Uh, yeah, they, they, they can be used, they can be adapted. Of course, the, when you see a DeFi and we see the volatility present in the market, it might be diff, very different from, let's say, strategies explored, fixed, fixed income security, so to say. So of course, there is a, an adaptation to be done in there. Um, but what we have seen for, for um, when we were doing research for, for Deep Balancer as well, was that the potential for deep learning is, is definitely there both for traditional finance as well as for DeFi. And since for DeFi, the, the ecosystem is basically growing by a lot and there are great opportunities in there to be explored, both from the side that the market is, is very inefficient right now so that people are exploring this for arbitrage and market making purposes, but also for the, uh, the very high yield opportunities that you can see across the ecosystem. So we, try, we decided for using AI specific for DeFi simply because we think the ecosystem is more exciting and more free and open. So that's why. Um, I, I hope I answered your question, Sean. Yeah, de definitely. Um, I, I appreciate that and understand a lot of these models are proprietary. Yeah. yeah. Just seen some observations of a lot of TradFi uh, folks, even a very big name, uh, Citadel Securities, getting uh, that was mentioned to get into the crypto space, especially right. with their investment from Paradigm. So that's what spurred the question, but it, it definitely appreciate that answer. And yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm curious if, if you had one ask for the mm -hmm. fellows listening to this podcast or the broader DeFi community, what would that be? <laughs> like, how, how can folks help you or join you or anything else? That yeah, so, um, we are very open to feedback and to input from the community and, and basically for feedback to the product, to Deep Balancer, and to really um, yeah understand how we can better serve the community, actually. So are those strategies, the our understanding, so this, let's say, conservative, this moderate one and the aggressive one, um, are, do they satisfy the needs of the of the community, or is basically some different risk profile that are more interesting than that? And um, the kind of products that we also explore, mainly liquidity pools and the staking options, um, are and borrowing and lending, of course, are they also the right approach, or should we also investigate different products? So uh, and also, folks looking looking to build with us and are interested in these strategies are also very welcome to come uh, to come to us on on the Colonel Slack or. Twitter uh, or to our website and then simply discuss with us. We're also very open. Yeah. Are you guys and, open source all the code and so people audit, can audit them or is that? So right now it's, it's, still, um, it's still closed. So we still have a, a closed GitHub account. But uh, when when we, we launch the product, parts of the code will definitely be open. Um, but the idea right now is to, to have the model still closed. So the deep learning model and the reinforcement learning that we are developing, um, the initial idea is to have them closed. 
um, and we're still working out how how to best have this model to allow for community participation because we of course also uh, participate in this idea that web3 is all about community um, and that's how we uh, we need to to make sure that this is covered going forward but right now the, the specifically the models are going to be private in the very beginning yes understand yeah, th thank you, Gabriel, for joining us for the third episode and uh, really look forward to seeing the success of Deep Balancer moving forward. Yeah, definitely. The, thank you guys. The, the, the next year and perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Uh...